I'm Sadek. And I'm Christian. And this is episode 157 of Shades of Brown. Uh, this week, we, this is, this is, we, this week is pretty, like, it's pretty classic. Like, we got video game consoles. And- I, I think, I think we're going to stop memeing around and actually talk about the thing. You know, he's like, I, I, so I don't know how much it was ever made into the podcast, but we always talk about, like, at least me and you, and we're just like playing games or whatever, that Nintendo Switch content is free content right like it is peak it is like apple rumor content in that you can just go on about it for hours and it doesn't matter but people eat that shit up and like and and it's also like low effort to make so of course because it's been a slow past two weeks if uh with the hard tech news um you know we're obviously going to talk about the nintendo switch for four hours we're finally doing it um but we we have actual stories though (laughs) yeah we we have actual stories let's start with like uh not like a news story, but actually like a, I guess like a product review, uh, like Nintendo Switch Lite. So just a year bought a, a Nintendo Switch Lite. So first, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. So how, how, like, first of all, like, like games aside, like, how do you feel about the hardware itself? Like the Switch Lite hardware? So there's, I'll probably splice in the, the actual clip of it, but it's, uh, it's unapologetically plastic, right? <laughs> But I and I don't mean that in a negative way because I've I, I'm about to put out some controversial opinions here. Um, so please at me if your spicy Nintendo takes it at packetcat10forward.social. But Nintendo's never been good at making home consoles. They've been okay, and Nintendo has always made consistently great portable consoles. And the Switch Lite continues that, right? So I would say the peak of Nintendo, like a portable console design is DSi. In my opinion, the DSi was the nicest feeling with regards to the plastics used, the quality of the buttons, the build quality, and the screen for Nintendo's um, handheld lines. Um, I think the 2DS XL is honestly a close second because that 3D um, stuff just always made the screens look bad piece of the it, it, it's low resolution right so it made them look kind of dirty it, with how they did their 3d stuff i never was never a fan of of what it did to the displays even when you had them in 2d mode and so with the switch light as most of you have probably seen one by now because it's like about two years old at this point um it is basically just a switch that does not switch so it's one single unit and made out of plastic but I think the the screen is five point five inches. You know, it's it's a little more compact. Basically, um, for for your sake, actually, you can think about the size of it. Take a Joy-Con off the Switch. That's a Switch Lite, right? In terms of width and height, yeah. Just p- take one Joy-Con off, and you basically have the Switch Lite uh, there. Okay, okay. So how like how like I know the thing with the Switch for me is that it never like I, like I my original foray into portable gaming was was the PSP as a as a teenager. And the PSP is was a console that you could put in you reasonably put in a jeans pocket. I mean it it, it not maybe not the the first iteration because that one is thick. Uh but like the later ones like you could you could put it in your jeans pocket and it wouldn't be too bad. But like the Switch the the original Switch was never quite that portable I felt like you had to buy like a separate carrying case for it because it was big enough where you could not put 
like reasonably put it in a, in a jeans pocket. Like, I don't think this has kind of gotten small enough to be... Well, so, I, I've done the ass pocket test, and it does fit in an ass pocket. You know what I mean? I, there's probably a proper term for that. Um, fashionistas, please at me on that. <laughs> I don't know what the technical term is for <laughs> ass pocket or butt pocket. <laughs> but yeah, it fits in your back pocket there. Um, I mean, obviously, you know, it's in your back pocket, so be careful you don't sit on it, because it's this plastic and has a plastic screen and all that, so it probably won't survive. But it does it, it does fit. And, and I wear relatively tight jeans, you know. I, I very much enjoy a lack of circulation. Um, that's a bad joke. But... Um, <laughs> but you know, it, it does fit in my skinny jeans pockets in the in the back there. I, it's not like I would say the most ideal fit for it, but I mean, if I'm walking somewhere right and I don't want to carry it in my hands, it, it will fit in the pocket. Um, it's just more if you run into the problem is actually the the um, analog sticks because they're not like the flat discs like the PSP, right? They they will get caught when you're pulling them out of your pocket. But I mean, that, I think that's a reasonable trade off though because the PSP analog sticks were never great. I was never a big fan of them. Okay, yeah, PS. I I I'll, I'll, I'll agree with that. The PSP analog sticks were not the best. Uh, I mean, they, they are what they are at this point. Uh, like speaking of like analog sticks and like the hardware, like how do like other buttons like the like I guess the they're not Joy Cons anymore. They're just part of the console. So like, are those buttons like different significantly from like the original Switch, or do they like feel better or less mushy or or whatever? Yeah, so so they're similar in feeling. I would say to me they feel a little bit better because I, okay, so I don't like creak in in anything when I'm holding it right. And by nature of the switch design, it's a compromise that if you clutch it, you know, when you're like trying to get like a, a combo going in Breath of the Wild, right, or doing anything intense, like you clutch your controller naturally. Um, or as we'll talk about later, getting sweaty in Apex, <laughs> or maybe the the console clutches you. But um, but the jokes aside, there it, it is that uh, the regular switch always has that creak to it, piece aside in and out. You know, even though they're attached by metal rails and they lock into place, because it's not one physical unit, you will always get a little bit of creak there, and it makes it just feel not not as tight. But because this is all one unit, it feels a lot nicer there. And I will say, because of the fact that this is smaller. I I still don't think the Joy-Cons are great on their own as control inputs, but for the size of the machine, the weight, these are fine because it, it just it fits nicer in my hand and there isn't like, you know, I, I don't know how you would make a better input method for this, right? For a 5.5 inch device, you know what I mean? Like there's really, there's really no way because they are nicely spaced apart. The the way the switch like curves and sits in your hand is that it is not a hard curve. It's a very soft curve. So it fits nicely in your palms and your hand sort of naturally falls into place when you're touching the analog sticks or the face buttons, you know, you aren't having to reach it in. And I have relatively large hands, right? And you're not, I'm not having to like stretch out my hands or contort them a little bit to, to press these buttons. So be, because of that, I'm, I'm okay with the input on this versus the regular switch where it's like, you know, if you're playing docked, it's pro controller. Don't the joy cons like with that grip, it's just spacing off it's too small for that it just doesn't make sense for it and i would also say that the buttons they feel about the same which is clicky but they're not like super loud like i'm I'm literally holding them up to the microphone right now and i don't think you're even able to hear them right like i'm yeah so which is fine which is fine because i think it, it, it's akin more to the face buttons on the xbox controller like with feel which i think is fine the d-pad is more oh this has a d-pad so benefit there this actually has an honest to god D-pad instead of the four buttons on the regular switch. Yeah, which which is a plus for me because the face buttons that they have on the the original Joy Cons are not good. Like they they are tiny and they are they feel bad. 
like especially if you have big fingers like they're not they're not pleasant to use uh in my opinion and the nice thing is they basically ripped the the d-pad from like the i wouldn't say the pro controller i would say from a ds or maybe the wii u gamepad it's more of a rocker is a pro controller a rocker one actually it's been a while since i've touched one like i don't know if you have yours nearby i don't have one uh, no, I mine mine. I, I my switch is not here, and my pro controller isn't. But well, this one's like a rocker, right? So it's more of like a you can do rolls with it, which is the which is why a rocker is better. I feel for fighting games specifically. So um, it's like the new Xbox controller where it's more of a rocker style instead of you know Sony has the four individual buttons. If it's a rocker, then it's easier to do rolls when you're trying to do fighting game combos. Yeah, I'm looking at the Xbox, the new Xbox controller I have, and at the rocker design as versus the old one where it is more like, a, more like, a, like more. It, it feels like a slightly smaller like face button design. Like the rocker style is, I've, I've forgot that that changed between the Xbox, the new controllers, and the old ones. Yeah. Uh, so, which color do you have? Like, this is an important question, I guess. Uh, it which... is. It is because the colors are good. It's yellow. It's yellow. And the nice thing is, the bezel is also color matched. Yeah, I see that. Yeah, that's that is that is good. I I, I do like that. That is a good touch. Yeah, I'm partial to the the, the turquoise here, but uh, the oh yellow... yeah, the only reason I got, I got the yellow is because the turquoise was sold out. The turquoise I would have gotten if they had them there, but you know we're in a supply shortage world so you kind of you get if you can get a switch you get the one that you get you know you, you can't be too picky about colors in in this tsmc world of we live in actually no switches are made at samsung fab so that joke doesn't fall but or work there but um also i think the screen too is another bit to talk about because so you don't know this but i think a lot of our listeners who are well versed in the nintendo world of consoles will know screens are in a lottery yeah i've heard about this i've heard about this it yeah. was worse in the ds days so so a little, little bit of retrospective history from the game, regular Game Boy, all the way until the Game Boy Advance. It was TFT or a different prior tech for like the uh, non-full color, right? The, the, the monochrome display for the regular Game Boy, and Nintendo usually used like one supplier for it. But then we ran into the DS, Game Boy Advance SP, Game Boy Micro, DS Lite, DSi, where they started to introduce IPS panels, which you know IPS, great technology versus TFT, but um. It was literally a lottery. The same model numbers would either, and it's the worst part about it, especially the DS. You could either get like a Game Boy Advance SP, I believe, with a TFT or backlit IPS, right? Both would be backlit. Just depends on what you got. And with the DS, it was the top screen could be IPS, the bottom screen could be TFT, or they both could be IPS, or they oh both could God. be TFT. So why. my 3DS, I I won the lottery. I have a top IPS panel and a bottom IPS panel on my 3DS. And my DSi as well. Back when I used to have it, I did win the lottery on those. Because he's, the, the biggest difference, honestly, is the color temperature. Um, IPSs by nature are a little bit more cool, but I think Nintendo's always been great about color, their color science and how they do their displays. I've never had a, had an issue. Even the TFTs, even though they were more warm, they weren't bad. It was just like the IPS was so much better that if you had that mix, like, why the fuck would I want that? Yeah, that's, that's that much. Yeah, so what kind of display is this? Uh, this is like an LCD, right? So an IPS, is it an IPS LCD? This one is an IPS. Um, it gets relatively bright. I, I've not noticed in motion any smearing um, as well. The, the color is pretty uniform, right? There's not any, um, like I can actually open up Zelda because it opens up to a black screen. So even though it's like, it's just one backlight, right? There's not like any dimming zones or anything. 
it, it's all even. There's not any backlight bleed. The viewing angles are because eh, it's not laminated right, so you're not going to get the world's best viewing angles. But then again, for Switch, you're usually looking at it, you know, front facing. Yeah, that's fine. I, the viewing angles are. I don't think viewing angles are important on on, on this uh, device. Yeah, like this, and there's not, yeah. you know, the um the the motion clarity in it. It's really there's not. It's not smeary or anything. So for a two hundred dollar device, right? Because it's two hundred dollars. This is a good display. I have no qualms with it. The touchscreen's fine on it. You know, it's it's once again, Nintendo gives you pretty great displays for for the price. So, how is the battery life? Have you like have you like run out the battery and like seen how how long it lasts on a full charge? So it depends on the game. Yeah, um, Zelda four hours is what you get on a charge. Animal Crossing more like seven. So it really depends on how performant it is, right? Like, if I imagine if I'm playing, like, a Super Nintendo online Switch game, right, emulated one, I'll probably get more like seven hours. Or if you're playing, like, a 2D side-scroller, you'll probably get more like seven hours. You know, it's just more intensive it is. But I think four to seven hours is also a pretty good range because it is USB-C, right? And this one actually comes with a charger in the box. Because you may remember, it's actually not Apple who started this trend. Apple actually copied Nintendo. Nintendo stopped shipping chargers with the 3DS and the 2DSs way back when, and with this one it does come with a and actually i actually would have cared less than because this is like a common charger so i actually would have been fine if it didn't come with one because i have USB-C chargers right because my laptop and all that but it does come with the charger in the box USB-C fast charging of course and um the port does work this is still it doesn't do video of course but it will do data so um i can hook it up to my ethernet adapter um because wi-fi is bad <laughs> wi-fi is real bad on these and um and, you know, it does also USB audio and, and all of that good stuff there. So, I mean, all in all, like, I think the last thing we might want to talk about on as, like, a device is heat output. Because there's fans in it. But, I mean, so, like, to actually hear the fans, I was full blast in Zelda. A lot of rains, particle effects. I was, I think I was by one of the great fairy fountains when it was thunderstorming. And so, if I put my ear onto the switch, I hear a light whirl. That's it. Right. Oh, it yeah, never gets like that's you. Fine. I literally have to put the console to my head in order to hear the actual fan when I'm in like one of the more taxing scenes there. So that's fine. You know, I think it mostly has a fan ju- just for good measure. Um, but, you know, it all in all, like for especially for $200, you know, because I think there's always like as we'll be talking about maybe a little bit later, but there's always like the, the argument to switch is like, well, for $100 more or for the same price as the regular switch versus Xbox Series, assuming they're in stock, you can get something so much better. But I think. I think this console for it's it's like the it's like the iPhone SE right of of game consoles where you get everything you need right it, it cuts the shit that doesn't matter right you know motion controls not important um, the dockability of it sure right I mean get, yeah but it's like it's not important to playing actual games right and this and it does everything fine and and I think too the smaller screen is actually a benefit because. Even though it's 720, and I think 720 at six inches, which with the regular switches is fine. With this being 5.5 at 720, you you get wins in games of dynamic resolution. So, for example, actually, I picked up Xenoblade Chronicles, um, and that is, I think, the max it tops out at is 546p. Oh, okay. Which is only that's 75 percent of 720p. So even though it sounds low res, right? All things considered, it, it scales like 900p to 1080p, right? That, it's so similar proportions there, and because it's a smaller resolution screen, I honestly can't tell. You know, like, I, I think I'd have to hold this really close to my face. It's it's like the thing with a PSP, like PSP games look great. PS Vita, the PS Vita is 546p and that still looks great. I think it comes back to the thing we've been talking about forever. Resolution is not important. Co- color accuracy is so much or color vividity is so much more important in games. Right. 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 And yeah, the resolution, like, especially in a, like you had to account for the display size. Like at this display size, 720p is fine. Right. Um, so. 
Let's talk about uh, let's talk about the Apex Legends switchboard, I guess, because we are talking about Switch Lite hardware uh, and and I guess the Switch hardware in general. Let's let's talk about the latest like sort of AAA title that that came to the Switch uh, was ported by ported by the people over at uh, Panic Button, who have ported games like uh, Doom, right? Uh, and what else did they port? Uh, for- Doom Eternal. Um, I, think, I don't know. I don't remember if they did The Witcher, but they've done a whole bunch of ports. Basically, and we should preface by saying, all love the Panic Button. Panic Button is doing the best of what they got. I, I, I believe Panic Button is a good developer. You know, I because we're not going to be positive here. So I want to preface it by saying that none of this is intended as hate towards Panic Button because I imagine they're 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 working magic with a bag full of shit. You know what I mean? Like this is some alchemy over here with what they're trying to do. No, no, absolutely. They. Yeah, they did the Doom Eternal. They did uh, Wolfenstein Youngblood for the Switch as well. Like they have done a lot of Switch ports. They did Warframe. Uh, they did uh, Wolfenstein Two, the New Colossus. You know, Doom the like Doom Twenty Sixteen. You know, um, uh, like a lot of like, the Rocket League. I know, like a lot of lot of ports. Like a lot of big games uh, for the Switch. So Panic Button is definitely like like they they know what they're doing. Like they're not a they're not a one time. So. Apex Legends on the Switch, probably the hardest game they have had to port, right? Because this is, first of all, for people who don't know what Apex Legends is, um, a battle royale, right? So you have a, a large open map, uh, lots of stuff happening at any given time, right? Like a lot of stuff can happen at any given time. Um, lots of particle effects, for sure. Like if stuff is popping off, abilities are popping off, there's a lot of that stuff going on. So it's a very difficult game for the Switch already. Right. So, so what, like, when you first started playing Apex Legends on the Switch, like, what was your, like, like, what did that feel like? Like, how did it, like, you played it on, on, on the Xbox Series S, right? Like, so you have a comparison point. I've, I've actually, I played, I played all gamuts of it. I played on the Xbox One X, which runs, I think, 1800p. It's like 18, it, it runs, it runs higher than 1080p, right? So, or 1440p. So I played it the best console experience you can get. I played the Series S, which is probably, I would say, the fastest loading, right? Because SSD, you know, all those improvements. And I played the Switch version of it. And, uh, you know, I think the way we'll, we'll start with this is um, I wish we were recording how much I was laughing when we hopped into Discord as soon as I turned it on. I just, I, I turned it on. I just started laughing. It was so funny because of how bad it is. So the problem is. With, it, with a battle royale, the entire map has to be rendered at once, right? Like, that's the thing. You can't, you, you like have to like render it all out and you have to like keep a local world simulation, I imagine, going right because of how many players are on hand. Like, I think the problem with Apex Legend is he runs on the fucking Source engine, right? The respawn uses a modified version of Source. That is not, that, that is, that, that, you know, Gordon Freeman was not ray traced, right? <laughs> like, it really isn't that hard to run the Source engine. It's just that they have to keep it all in memory and they have to keep track of like 100 players, right? 50 players. They have to keep track of so many players at once that it's, 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 I honestly think it's a CPU bottleneck that really is what's causing it to run like this. But, and the way you'll know this is because basically it's like a 30, it's, it's 720p dynamic. Sorry, 540 something P of dynamic and portable, um, seven, uh, 30 frames per second. And it's like the game is, the game struggles so much that whenever enemies came around us, you would notice frame drops. <laughs> You have like a reverse, you have a reverse competitive advantage where me and Zach be playing. As soon as we get a gunfight, the frame rates start to drop if more teams come nearby. The more player uh, player characters in range, the basically just drops frames, which is 
a weird competitive advantage. You can just have someone on Switch's watch out, you know, pull up a fucking frame graph meter, and then, uh, you know, every time they get someone comes by, you know, there's enemies nearby. I don't even need blood. Uh, what's the character's name again? I forgot the one that does the uh, Bloodhound. Yeah, because they don't even have the performance monitor. Actually, the console versions and the PC versions have like a ping um, monitor and a frame rate monitor that's been removed from the Switch port too. So it's like, I, once again, I don't think it's. I, I don't think it's on panic button there because they had a time frame to release it. You know, they they had to meet their deadlines. I, I imagine they did the best they could, but it's it really shows that like I imagine if this if there's a game, I think actually Monster Hunter Rise is a good example of this, right? That have you seen videos of that game? The game looks great. I mean, for a Switch version, it actually. And I, I was talking about like I, I was watching a Monster Hunter Rise stream yesterday, and I was like, this is actually impressive what Capcom has been able to achieve on this hardware. Right, like the, the what what they have sacrificed is is like not like what the, what is in the game. Like yeah, you lose some detail obviously in foliage and stuff, but like what is there? It looks good, it looks good enough, right? Like it it runs well enough, and it's mostly mostly stable thirty. Like like Monster Hunter Rise is mostly stable thirty on on the Switch, right? Like it's 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 do it looks decent. Like it runs pretty well, you know. Yeah, and I I think the the thing with it is that for these games, and sometimes I, I want to get a little more technical here, but sometimes people always talk about like, oh, it's not law optimized. When and I think optimization is a is a thing that I'd want to dive a little bit more into because I think gamers go around saying it has bad net code. It's not optimized like all the time, right? <laughs> like people just scream that all on Twitter, and I don't think they actually know what that means. So let's dive a little bit deeper, right? Because at the end of the day, a video games a program, right? And programs, regardless of whatever you write them in, Swift, Android, you know, Kotlin, whatever, Java, um, C sharp on Windows sides, right? Whatever it is, basically, you're writing functions that are scheduled, you know, to run on the CPU. Like, you know, it's uh, more advanced than that. Obviously, with GPU stuff, you need to also worry about how many polygons you're doing and what kind of math you're doing on said polygons, right? Like that. Video games in a whole. It was just fucking math. Video games are very complicated. <laughs> but yes, the yes. thing is, though, core count matters a lot, especially when you're designing for a specific target. Because for games that are not designed for the Switch, they're designed, say, for the PS4 or the Xbox. Those were what? Eight thread CPUs, I think? Like eight threads, eight core CPUs. Um, and so what you do is you evenly distribute cores, you know, th- jobs, as it's called, across the cores. Or you may designate, like, core 7 or core 8, because, you know, on the Xbox, it's clock significant a little bit differently, so you know that it's, like, better at doing this kind of math. And that's, like, that's how you basically optimize, right? As developers are more familiar with the hardware, they kind of realize the twe- the, twer- the, the twerks. Yes, the twerks. The twerks of your hardware. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Damn it. I'm trying to be serious here. <laughs> I did this to myself. Um, The quirks of the hardware in that, you know, a certain core may be better at certain kinds of math and that just becomes something you you realize the more you work with them. And that that becomes a problem, though, as you specialize for that hardware as you try and port it down to the Switch. Because I honestly, I imagine most games, it's consoles first and then PC second. But because Microsoft has really good cross-platform SDK stuff, it's become easier to port it. So you don't notice bad PC ports, you know. Like, I imagine there's, like, uh, some job scheduler stuff on DirectX that will just abstract it out for Windows or PC. But, you know, you don't get that benefit when you bring it to the Switch. You basically have to work in the constraints of the memory bandwidth, the amount of cores, the clocks of it, 
and what performance profile Nintendo gives you. So the reason I bring this all up is, is say, for example, Apex is really optimized to be like on eight core systems, you know, maybe four cores at best, but, you know, eight cores. And and it does like certain kinds of math for figuring out player calculations or world building or, you know, some kind of math on like core seven or core eight. That's not on a switch. So what do you do? You have to redo like on a core level of the of the engine. You basically have to refactor it to work on a less performant device. And that's different because you're taking existing work and you're sort of squeezing it together and peeling it back to try and make it run at a decent level of performance. Whereas Capcom, what they can do is say, okay, this switch, let's just throw out numbers, right? These are not the exact numbers, but, you know, throw out numbers. Has a four core, two gigahertz each clock, you know, uh, architecture. So how can we evenly distribute this work so that these CPUs can handle it and it doesn't drop performance or it doesn't throttle back? And as well, on the GPU side, it's evenly distributed. You get that benefit of thinking, okay, we know for a fact that, say, these particle effects, if we do this kind of particle effect, it's just going to tank performance. So we'll, we'll do a workaround, right? You may have to fake it, but we can do this other kind of particle effect. Whereas when you're doing a poor job like Apex, you don't get the luxury of doing that because Panic isn't doing ongoing work. You know what I mean? Panic most likely got in to do the port, and now Apex probably has a team that just, you know, brings content updates to it. Or it's like an ongoing job of a smaller staff to bring those existing updates to the Switch. You see, you can't, like, rebuild the entire game because you have to get it out in a year, right? You have a certain amount of time. It just, it isn't, it isn't, bene- it doesn't make sense from, like, a capitalism perspective to rebuild this entire game for the Switch. And that's a problem you run into. That's a problem you run into with games like Doom. Even though the engine is scalable, you're still running into the limits of the hardware because it wasn't built from the ground up for it. It is basically taking existing work and peeling it back until it runs from like a base, just what cores are we picking or what kind of graphic effects are we doing on on the GPU? And and that's the problem I think we're running into here with, with Apex. And I, I think it's, I mean, honestly, at this point, it's kind of on Nintendo because they i mean they 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 really should they should unlock it's not that they should make a more a better quality switch but it's the fact of that we know for a fact that the switch light this this can run at a far higher clocks right and i think it's time for them to maybe to maybe look into i i think uh the clock thing is I'm actually, I'm not sure I'm, I would blame Nintendo for that. I think they're just trying to optimize for battery life and heat uh, when it comes to raising the clocks, right? They're trying to balance between, like, game performance and, and the amount of heat the system generates, right? Uh, and the amount of battery power that you can reasonably, like, they have, they have certain expectations for the battery life, and they, like, they put that put that on the spec sheet, right? And they expect games to run in a certain way. So they have to account, they can just, I don't think we can just increase the clocks. I think that will cause other issues, right? Like thermal, thermal constraints are, I feel like is probably the biggest, biggest issue uh, on, on something, a portable device, right? Like yeah, you don't want to, you don't want to get, get too hot, right? Like I don't think the cooling system. Well, so there's a thing that Nintendo does though, um, and I don't, I, I, I'm trying to remember third party games too. I know first party games too, where it's like basically like so Super Mario Odyssey and Zelda, it actually runs it at full throttle for a couple seconds when it's loading in initially. Like there's a very there's like a there's like those kind of optimizations you can do where it's not you know it's not fully you know running it at full blast all the time, but like for initial loads or something, you can get some like performance profiles like that. I mean, I mean, ultimately, at the end of the day, this is a five-year-old Android processor, right? Like the Tiger is very old at this point. Yeah, the Tiger. And there's only so much yeah. you 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 can do. And you know, you know, what's the worst part about this? Nintendo, in theory, 
if they put better Wi-Fi hardware in this, could maybe look into like having some offloading cloud stuff, right? Like even maybe some streaming games on here for some games that can't run. You know, there is a world where if they actually gave a fuck and put good hardware, good Wi-Fi hardware in in the Switch for for context, um, I have gigabit internet at home. I have a Wi-Fi six router. The Switch forty megabits per second down, being a foot away from my router, direct line of sight. It's all it gets, which is terrible. Like, if anything, it's I, I get it. It's not a Wi-Fi six device, but it could still do hundred megabits. Like, you know, with my speeds, with the with the hardware I have, like hundred megabits is what I would expect. But it barely touches forty, and it's just it's it's at this point it's uh, it's a it's clear that Nintendo doesn't give a shit about networking hardware. Yeah, there, I mean, there is a lot of thought to talk about it. on the hardware side. Like the compromises are like Nintendo has made specific compromises for sure. And speaking, like I think this is where we can segue straight into the rumors, right? This it's, we've been avoid like like inside baseball is like we've been avoiding these rumors, uh, talking about them rather on on the podcast. Because we have been like, yeah, it's just rumors, and now like it's you know, it's like we've been has, avoiding the free content. <laughs> we have been avoiding a hashtag free content because it's 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 the Nintendo Switch free content. So let's 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 talk about it. So Bloomberg has uh, has a has a new uh, has a new leak. So they're saying um, so they're saying what a seven inch. Uh, the rumors are there's going to be a seven inch uh, OLED screen from from Samsung. Uh, there's going to be DLSS support. Uh, I'm guessing that also means a new NVIDIA mobile SOC for, 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 for this device. I, we, that's the thing. That's the question is like, what SOC is this? Like, there are some possible, what's the possibilities of Nintendo? Like, NVIDIA does have some SOCs in that line, but like, what? Because there's nothing on the market right now that would fit in this. Like, to be clear, right? The, the closest to it is Pins of an M. It's going to be, it's in theory was built for automakers, right? For like smart cars and, and Tesla and stuff. But that isn't supposed to be shipping in mass, mass quantities until next year. That's the closest chip that, you know, NVIDIA has to replace the Tegra line that would make sense for this. But yeah, so it's that. It's increased memory bandwidth, um, probably a new dock with 4K output. PS Switch right now is HDMI 1.2. So you actually can't get 4K 60. You can only get 4K 30 hertz out of it. So it'd probably be a new dock with more bandwidth. So, I mean, like, all of these rumors make sense. It makes sense to me. I think the fact that you get OLED, OLED is, OLED's cheap enough now, right? Look at the amount of cheap Android phones that come with decent OLED screens. A 720p OLED made by Samsung? Yeah. Absolutely probably is cheaper than an LCD at this point. Right. I, this is the thing. And the DLSS part is the interesting thing to me. They, they, they are supposed to be running 4K uh, display resolution. I'm guessing a much lower internal resolution being rendered by like using DLSS to render the 4K. Right? Like I have some doubts. Like I, I really, I, I think it's important to also bring up the rumors that have been about what DLSS 3.0 is. Right. So the going rumors for DLSS 3.0 is that it's going to be a general model that can run in place of TA. So any game that supports TAA could, in theory, be swapped in on a driver level for DLSS 3.0. And instead of using TAA, it will use DLSS to upscale it to whatever resolution, right? That, so that's the going rumor, is that it doesn't need explicit support from the game developer side to run. Um, of course, these are like, this is like very, you know, those like random reset era and Reddit rumors and stuff at this point, you know. It really hasn't been quantifiable yet to hit the, the gamers nexus desk of hardware news episodes. But that's like the going theory at the moment for DLS 3.0. So 
I think the bigger question is not like, is it DLSS? It's how is it DLSS? You know what I mean? Like, because it's essentially all you need for DLSS is um, I, Apple comes them the neural engine cores and video calls them tensor cores, right? It's basically machine learning accelerators. You, you know, and I mean, NVIDIA probably wants DLSS on the Switch, you know? Like, I... I <laughs> oh, absolutely. No. That's, that's, that, that's not the thing I'm... That's not the thing I'm worried about. NVIDIA will be happy to give... Happy to sell chips with DLSS to Nintendo. The question is, will Nintendo care about DLSS? Like, that's the thing I'm not sure about. Like, is, is DLSS... Any, like, I can see a world where NVIDIA cares... Not NVIDIA, but Nintendo cares about DLSS because they see that this is, well... The LSS will give them higher resolutions to talk about without having to worry about actually rendering those resolutions, right? Like trying to actually render something. Like the LSS can be, the LSS is very impressive technology. Like this is not me trying to hype up NVIDIA or anything. I think the LSS is actually some of the most impressive graphics tech I've seen in a long time, right? It's, it's right there along with actual proper ray tracing, uh, like real time ray, ray tracing, right? Like I think it's actually quite impressive what the LSS can do for these systems, right? Like and for, especially for lower end systems where you're more, more bound on, on like GPU. Uh, bandwidth and and power and and CPU limitations. Like, what can you like? You can do a lot with DLSS that 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 wouldn't be possible without it. Like, and that that is Nintendo. If Nintendo's forward thinking enough, I feel like DLSS would be a very good thing to have on a, on a like a low power device like like the, like this like the like the Switch, right? Like, it, well, I think I think the thing is right. You have to think of so we're at a point with the Switch where. Apex Legends. It, it's obvious. It's obvious at this point that it's you. It's going to be a, a, a problem getting games ported to the Switch now. Like with with next gen, with with anything alone, with the low level APIs for storage access. Because remember, the Switch comes with eMMC storage. Oh Jesus so Christ! Oh, yeah. That's the right. baseline. Even though SD cards are probably faster, you know, newer SD cards are most likely faster. You have to. It's that in mind, you know, because someone's running it off of internal storage, you, you have to make sure the game runs on that. Yeah, you can't, you can't, it's, you can't guarantee the SD card, right? Like, it could be running out the MMC for, like, yeah, the, I, I imagine a lot of people don't have SD cards, right? They, they either buy the Switch cartridges would come with the game on the device, on the, on the cartridge, right? Like, on the, on the little, little cartridge thing, or, or, or they, or they download it into the internal storage. I would imagine that's the majority of people. Yeah. And so with that, you also, it's like there's a couple of just like graphical features that the that the hardware doesn't can't run. You know what I mean? From like a math level, like it just physically can't support these features. And because of that, we're getting limited on what could be ported now. And I think I think what Nintendo sees is that a they don't want to sit on their laurels because that's happened with the Wii to the Wii U, right? That you know they they never did a Wii HD or anything like that. Like I don't even think they ever they've never made a Wii with fucking HDMI output, right? And that bit them in the ass. When they release this Wii U thing, and everyone's like, "Well, why would we want this?" Like, it's just they completely fumbled it. And honestly, I, I think Nintendo's been talking about the Switch as like a family since the beginning. I think what they want, and they well, actually they've said it before, right? They want everyone in the household to have a Switch. Like their ideal is multiple Switches in a household. And what do you do in that case? Then you keep releasing new hardware. And I, I think it's honestly, I, I hope, I hope, I hope Nintendo takes the Microsoft route and realizes that having like a a, a consistently a, a stable software platform of continually improving hardware is the way to go. You know what yes, I mean? Where it's yes, like you yes. don't have to rebuy games, but you they'll keep giving you reasons to buy new hardware, and your existing games come with you. Like the Switch just stays as a platform because ultimately it's ARM at the end of the day. So 
it, it's ARM and it runs um, Vulkan and NVIDIA's proprietary, you know, graphics API. So even though, because I've seen some people on Twitter be like, if it's a new process from NVIDIA, the game's looking compatible. And I'm like, it's, it's fucking ARM. You know, and I imagine Nintendo, like, ARM, ARM is ARM, and, and especially from an NVIDIA chip to another NVIDIA chip that's binary compatible. I mean, of course, you might have to do some compatibility stuff for edge cases, but I, I don't think backwards compatibility would be an issue, even if they use a new NVIDIA chip, because it's a, it's like x86 x86, you know? Like, the reason, the, the, like, Sony just makes, I feel like Sony makes gamers confused on how backwards compatibility actually works at a programming level, because Jim Ryan's full of shit. But like it's 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 all at the end of the day. It's a it's a processor architecture that's the same. It's the same OS most likely. The code can usually run with maybe some ba- some like you know exception to be made for weird edge cases. So I don't think that's the issue. But I, I just hope Nintendo doesn't ever do a hard stop on it because I please please no one. I know I know you love reselling Super Mario games that are thirty years old, but please my heart can't take it. If I have to rebuy the same Pokemon game for the fifth time, I'll happily do it, but I'm going to complain the entire time. Oh, my <laughs> but, God. But back to, like, the... <laughs> this is why... Yeah, so I I, I am, like, I'm going to, like, these Bloomberg rumors, just take them with a grain of salt, like a large grain of salt, because uh, Bloomberg's historic reputation uh, is in the gutter for, for a little bit because of the I, I don't know how many people remember at this point some people who, who people who really follow tech journalism might remember there was a Bloomberg story about uh, about hardware backdoors in like super micro servers right basically that was the story um, and there was no substantive actual evidence nobody was able to find any of these chips like and it's not for lack of looking because uh, a lot of the companies that that were notified about this, like Apple, right? Like Apple was one of the big players that was supposedly being infiltrated by these by these these sort of backdoor chips in their in their servers. Uh, and Apple basically was like, okay, we're gonna just like we're gonna just tear apart servers and look for these shit, like look for this stuff, right? In our in our server farms, and they didn't find anything. And I think if Apple didn't find anything, and if like Supermicro didn't find anything, and no, everybody, like Apple categorically denied this. This like was like a thing that happened, right? Like they could not find any evidence. And there are two companies that categorically denied that. So Bloomberg's has not presented any actual evidence. Only like unidentified, unidentified sources that speculate. Uh, but I would say though, I would say because with this specific leak. There, and I usually don't, you know, usually not. I'm not like the kind of person to be pimping out random YouTubers, but there is one that I've been following, Nate from like the Nate the Hate podcast. I think he also runs Direct Feed Games, which is another YouTube gaming channel, has had this scoop since like last year. Like everything that's in this Bloomberg report, like I think on an episode, one of his episodes of his podcast, he like basically, you know, like said, hey, this is what the switch, the next switch is going to be like sometime last week. And it's like bit for bit for bit. He had the OLED screen, he had premium shell. Um, partially exclusive games to the new Switch console, which Nintendo's done in the past, and DLSS. So because of that, I would I would say this one, I think, has a little more substance because it's been corroborated by multiple outlets, right? It's not just, like, Bloomberg that's saying this. It's not like a Mark... It, I mean, because Bloomberg usually get for Apple rumors, like with Mark Gurman, but with um with the with, with the gaming side of it, like, usually it's right, it's Jason Schreier. He, usually he's pretty on point, but I think because this has been corroborated in a couple of different other outlets that tend to have pretty good track records, I think this is more 
more legit. Sure. Yeah, that's 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 yeah. Let's keep in mind. I mean, at the end of the day, these are still rumors, right? This is one of the reasons we don't talk about rumors very often, right? Is because this is like we have to talk about it with these caveats always. Uh, rumors are just actually rumors. Sometimes they're more likely to be true, like Mark Gurman rumors. While we don't talk about those here, Mark Gurman's rumors, as you mentioned, are pretty usually pretty spot on, right? Like Mark Urban actually is surprisingly, I'm I, I like that guy's, that guy must have some real strong connections inside Apple because that guy gets all sorts of stuff. That's like, I, I'm sure Apple would love to know who's leaking, uh, but, but they haven't been able to shut that Mark Urban down as of maybe it's intentional. Maybe my Mark Urban is like some sort of uh, Apple marketing but anyways, oh, I mean, a, there's absolutely, I mean, there's absolutely planted leaks is definitely, yeah, a thing. yeah, definitely a marketing strategy. So, but that's that's just that's, a, that's, that's a rabbit hole. <laughs> that's a rabbit. Let's talk about some phones or uh, two phones, like well, two phones. No, keeping just... keeping the pro train going. Let's go from the Switch Pro to the to the Hasselblad Pro. Hasselblad Pro. So uh, we have the uh, uh, like the newest uh, OnePlus uh, phones. Uh, we have OnePlus Nine and Nine. Pro and also the 9R, right? Um, there's, there's three three SKUs here. Uh, the reviews are mostly about the 9 Pro and the 9, right? The 9R is not out yet. It comes out next month. Oh, okay. So that's why. Okay. okay, that makes sense. So let's... So nine pro is the is the is the flagship, right? Like is this is the this is the Samsung competitor here, right? Like this is even priced like a Samsung device, right? Like what what is the price? Let's start with the price. What is it? Is it's like uh, nine, not nine hundred? Is it nine hundred or so? Like uh, let me see. The Verge really should put the price in their articles. I swear, I was just looking at it. We probably should have put this in our notes. We know how to do a podcast. <laughs> We've done this before. Uh, no, uh, price. Yeah. Let's yeah. see. It is. What is it? Why, why Why are you doing this to me, Verge? Price, 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 price. I think it's like a thousand something, but the exact one. Okay, so no, no, I have, I, I brought up the Ars Technica review by, by Ron. Um, uh, one, one, one plus nine pro uh, at 969, uh, uh, which is up from 899 of last year's model, by the way. Uh, and the one plus nine is uh, 729, which is up from last year's uh 699 one plus eight uh these prices are in as always these are in u.s dollars okay so that's that's keep that in mind um so let's talk about like i think this is one of those cases where i think these both of these devices are fine and it's more important to talk about what is missing from the base nine model that is like in the in the nine pro like the differences are more important here than the actual phones itself right and I feel the phones are like, well, they're, they're fine. Like it's, it's the spec sheet you expect at this point, right? Both of these have the, uh, Snapdragon, um, 888, right? You got Android 11, you got 120 hertz displays, which is both of these have the same display, right? Both, no, no, no that's not true. Both of these are 120 hertz displays, but the sizes are slightly different and the resolution is slightly different. Not enough to matter, I don't think, right? Like the, like the OnePlus 9 is like 402 PPI and like the OnePlus 9 Pro is like 513 PPI. It's not like a massive uh, display the resolution change there, right? Like to, to 400 by 1080 and then 3168 by 1440p, right? Like that's, that's, that's not like, that's not really actually like that much, right? Like on, on a, on like a six, 6.5 ish inch display. Uh, you got, you got the 8 GB or 12 GB of RAM. 
What, which model has the 12 GB? Is it just like the higher pro model that has 12 GB? Do we know? I believe so from what I'm seeing here. Yeah, that, that sounds like the split, but this, this version, can I just talk about this version is actually not that great. Looking at it now, like I, I don't, I don't mean to comment on reviews like this. Dieter usually does a good job, but I'm reading it and it's like, it, it, it doesn't have like a spec sheet nor really have like the, like an easy accessible price. I, I'm looking at the, the our stack, our, our technical review is, is better. I think, uh, Ron yeah, I, I, I guess with inside baseball here, normally when we pick reviews, like having a table that just has like a good spec, yeah, I'm looking layout, at, like, uh, even though specs glance. aren't important, it's very useful just for seeing what the phone has the differences. Yeah. So. Let's talk about differences, right? Like, what, like if you look at the Ars Technica review, which I think I put a link to it, right? Like, I think I, no, I did not put a link to it. I will, I will put a link to it because I think there's a specs at a glance sheet here. So, speak of differences between the nine and the nine Pro, uh, the cameras, right? The cameras always as is always is one of the main differentiators. Um, on the on the nine, you don't have the telephoto. You don't get a telephoto lens, right? Like the on the nine, you have three lenses. Uh, you have the forty-eight megapixel main camera. You have the fifty megapixel ultra wide, and a two megapixel monochrome. And on the nine Pro, you have a forty-eight megapixel main camera, fifty megapixel ultra wide, and an eight megapixel three X telephoto, and the and the two megapixel monochrome. And the other important thing to mention here is also that the nine does not have OIS, right? Is that I think that's that's mentioned is that OIS. Yep, yep it does not have it, OIS in it. It does not OIS is the main big feature that is missing the, the optical image stabilization for people who don't know what OIS is. Like OIS is is a pretty serious feature, right? Like this is the biggest I feel like the biggest when you're looking at the camera differences here, like the price points and like the camera differences, like this two hundred dollars, like the OIS is what you get. Like the OIS is the big feature that you're missing, right? And it depends on how much you care about the camera here. Like if you if you don't care about camera, you don't have you care don't care about OIS, then I feel like you should just buy the OnePlus Nine. There's no reason not to buy the OnePlus Nine, right? Like it's it's just like also another difference. I guess some people will care about this. The OnePlus Nine doesn't have the fast wireless charging. Uh, I don't know how many people care about fast wireless charging, but the Nine has the 15 watt G charger, uh, charging and the OnePlus 9 Pro has their, the OnePlus proprietary, uh, 50 watt warp charging that they call. Um, both of these are the same battery size, by the way, 4,500 milliampere hours. So it's like, and this is okay. This is actually, this is where the, the waterproof situation. Uh, the OnePlus 9 tech apparently has IP68, but the only the T Mobile version. I, I don't understand. It's not a different skew. You have to pay for it by unit. Basically, when you pay for you pay for IPX rating. And so in theory, if you don't pay for it and you, you so you don't, if you don't actually pay for the certification, you don't have to, you know, add it to the bill of materials for the phone. That's just So T-Mobile might be covering the cost of it as a part of like some marketing deal. That's yeah, that's just really that's just very weird. I I and the OnePlus 9 Pro all the, all the models have do have the IP uh, P68 uh, rating. So, and other like in, in screen fingerprint sensor, you know, uh, stuff like that. So, so what are we thinking about these devices? Like, I, I think they're like, uh, it's fine. Like, the camera is not like, you know, not like the best thing, but I don't think people are like, 
expecting OnePlus to really outdo someone like Samsung or Apple, right? Like it's it's fine. Like all everything about these two devices is just like, yeah, it's fine. And I think where the problem comes here is that with the OnePlus 9 Pro, with the, with the higher-end device, that you're competing directly with Samsung. And I feel like I don't think you can do that. I don't think OnePlus can actually compete with Samsung. Yeah, so for context, right, I think pricing is important with this. So right now, let me go up to the – let me open the price sheet again here. I have a Best Buy link open actually with Samsung's prices too. So let's say, for example, you were thinking about a OnePlus 9 or – a Samsung S21. Right now, the OnePlus 9, 729 is what it starts at. The S21 um, at Best Buy is 650. And if you wanted to go to the S21 Plus, 749. So you, in theory, and it's with the update situation, OnePlus, I believe, offers two years of um, software updates. Two years. Two years of major updates, bi-monthly security updates. And by bi-monthly, they mean every two months, not two times a month. Um, thanks OnePlus for that confusing stuff. <laughs> but um, honestly, though, and and as well, the OnePlus Nine Pro, the Samsung Twenty One Ultra, nine fifty unlocked. So, and it has the better camera. Like the OnePlus Nine, they've caught up with the camera there. But I think what what you more or less run into, it's not is this phone worth it? It's should you get it over a Samsung one, right? What do you want? Like I think it's the question is like like if you care, like if you want something that doesn't have samsung's adware in it but that's just it though because oneplus ui looks just like one ui right now right for samsung phones and they've really gotten close to it so the changes in software really aren't that much i think it's more it's literally like how much do you tolerate ads which of course people listen to our podcast that's you know you don't but for regular people they don't fucking care like if you go into a t-mobile store i'm i'm looking at this especially with samsung's update promise now it's I, I I don't see where this phone would be a better deal just for the fact of that you're limited with your carriers too. You know what I mean? Like T-Mobile, like Verizon technically has 5G support now for it, but it seems T-Mobile will give you the best experience. So, I mean, truthfully, I would say just for the fact of, because we got to think of long-term ownership costs now. Like, I think that's, I think we're at the point with smartphones where it's really, it's about like, what's the cost of this phone over a couple of years? So Samsung phones, are most likely going to be significantly cheaper to repair if something breaks because of how much more of them are in circulation. Whereas I imagine if this breaks, you, your options for repair are either to be more expensive or more limited because of the support network. OnePlus is a smaller company. And as well, I don't, I don't know. From what I mean, what I've, uh, OnePlus, it's, it, it's just cool. It's fine. You know, it's fine. But I just, I don't see personally a reason that if someone came to me saying what Android should I phone should I get, I would tell them this over like, you know, a Samsung one or or a Pixel. Like I think especially with the sales, right? Especially with the sales cuz Samsung phones, yes, the launch price is more expensive, but you you literally you turn around after a Samsung phone goes on sale and it's already $300 off. You know what I mean? Yeah, like it's they're getting discounted all of them. like and Samsung can afford to do that. Like they can discount these phones very very deep and it, like OnePlus cannot compete with that like they just cannot like it, it just Samsung is a fucking behemoth in the space so I I still like I still OnePlus is still trying to compete in the space which is why they're getting compared here and the pricing is comparable but they don't have the sort of power market power to like like eat margins and like sell because Samsung sells a gazillion S21s right like OnePlus doesn't have the same amount of, like, their market share is negligible. 
right? Like they don't have the same kind of leverage with carriers, right? You know, like the only like only carrier in the U.S. that's do uh, is it is it only T-Mobile? Yeah, T-Mobile is the only one that's selling it in in store. So, yeah, so that's one of the other things, right? Like Samsung is in all of the carrier stores, right? Like they're in Verizon, they're in AT and T, right? Every every carrier store is selling a Samsung phone. It doesn't have to be the like the S twenty one. It even the A A series of Samsung phones, right? Like those are pretty pretty popular. I've heard uh, in, like lower end Samsung models, right? Like. Samsung is is hard to compete with because they have so many SKUs and they have all these partnerships with with uh, especially in the US uh, carrier partnerships are very important right they, because that's how you move devices if, if you're not in a carrier store you might as well not exist right like I think that's this is one of those things I feel like we should talk about more often is the reason the Pixel does like Google tries so hard to get these like uh, carrier partnership deals in the U.S. is because if you don't have your phone in a carrier store in the U.S., you're not selling the phone, right? Like only a minority of people are even going to be aware of the phone. And, uh, second, are going to even buy the phone, right? From directly from you. Most people buy their phones through carrier stores in the u.s so uh that is that is uh, that is a thing also too in my personal opinion the, the samsung line this year looks way nicer than this i still love that camera cutout like the camera cutout in the samsung s21 series is still so nice i mean yeah honestly i would say i would i mean oneplus is trying and i think from you know obviously there's two we're all of two minds on this i think from a competitive perspective of course we want more options in the market but like, from a, am I gonna buy it though? Like, honestly, if I had to buy an Android phone, I'd go for an S twenty one. Like, I would. Yeah, I if I was making a decision of buying like a high end, like a higher end, like flagship, the flagship Android phone, like it would be either a Pixel or a Samsung. Like, there is like I don't see like another choice to be honest. Like, what do you mean like, you're not getting that LG rollable? <laughs> I, actually, speaking about good options, though, I think we should mention their OnePlus watch. So that they're not doing Wear OS on it, they are. They are doing some cuts. They won't even like. They're apparently not giving much. So who knows? It might be vaporware because they're not really giving uh, much information on it. But it does its own in-house OS, and apparently it has like one to two week battery life. It seems seems nice. Yeah, it's it's running like so apparently the only thing they said is like it's something running a quote unquote a real time OS, which uh, which which obviously means it's not where it's where it's not a, a quote unquote real time OS. No, isn't it? Isn't it actually? So real time OS is no real time OS has a very specific meaning. Uh, it's RTOS is the like technical acronym for it, but it is a very specific kind of operating system. All right, I'm gonna I'm opening up um, Wikipedia. Let me go ahead and read what a real time operating system is from Wikipedia. A real time operating system is an operating system intended to serve real time applications that process data as it comes in, typically without buffer delays. Processing requirements are measured in tens of seconds or shorter increments of time. A real-time system is time-bound, which has well-defined fixed-time constraints. Processing must be done within the defined constraints or the system will fail. They either are event-driven or time-sharing. Event-driven systems switch between tasks based on their priorities, while time-sharing systems switch between a task based on clock interrupts. Most RTOSs use a preemptive scheduling algorithm. Now, what does this mean for us? What does this mean for us? What, what, actually, what is a fucking example of it? Do they have any? There are uh, real-time OSs usually run in, like, I'm trying to remember what real-time OSs usually run in. Uh, Let me see. RTOS examples. Um, oh, Windows CE was an RTOS. Yes, yes. Hmm. Ah, so I guess, so I guess OnePlus is making something akin to Windows Phone 7? 
I mean, that's what I was. I was <laughs> no, I hope not. I mean, I hope. I hope not. I mean, in some ways, yes, but also no, right? Like, <laughs> like, uh, yeah. But I think the. I think it's people are speculating it's some oh, Huawei. It's Q&X. Huawei. No, Q&X. it's QNX. You yeah, know Q&X. it's QNX based. BlackBerry back up in this QNX base. Let's go. Yeah, some people speculate it's some Huawei OS uh, or something like that. Um, uh, oh my god, there, there's clarification. There are classifications of RTOSs. You can have a hard RTOS, a firm RTOS, or soft RTOS. I mean, is one plus? Is is it? Are we power bottoming here? Are we going to be a soft RTOS? Who knows? Never settle. Never settle. <laughs> this is people bad. are saying it's. Uh, <laughs> people are speculating it's Light OS from Huawei. Like Light OS is like a like a real time operating system Huawei made. Um, so that's that's that seems likely, possibly, you know. I, I mean, it doesn't matter though. I don't think it actually matters to the use of it for like you know, like you using an application on it. Yeah, no, it does probably doesn't, and it's probably going to be better than Wear OS uh, if it ships, you know, uh, because Wear OS is really in not not in a good place, uh, and I think uh, Google should just do something, like make a decision about Wear OS because it's language. Really bad. What dies first, Wear OS or Stadia? Uh, Stadia like is already starting. I mean, listen, Wear OS has stagnated a lot more than Stadia has. Choose your words. <laughs> that's true. I mean, it's been around longer, so it has had more time to stagnate. But I think, I think Stadia is probably going to die first. Um, Wear OS, be, Wear OS might live uh, like a zombie a little bit more. Um, but yeah, so so what do we like? I think the overall conclusion here is that OnePlus, while this is a fine phone from like just looking at it by itself like these two phones rather like the OnePlus 9 and the OnePlus 9 Pro to me personally the OnePlus 9 Pro doesn't make much sense uh if you're buying at that sort of price point it like in, in unless you really really don't want Samsung software right like i know some people really don't like Samsung and personally i'm not i'm not a fan of Samsung's idea of software uh and and the amount of ads, specifically the ads like the software design is one thing but the ads really like i i am not like if i like personally the ads are big like no no for me so uh like the OnePlus 9 Pro would be comparable to the Samsung S21 plus right like if i was to pick it pick a, like an android device i would probably pick the 9 Pro because of the of the lack of ads you uh, but also at the same time, like for, for the general market sense, I don't think the nine pro is going to sell that all that well. Uh, and the nine is probably going to be a better, like if you're going to get a phone like this and the nine makes more sense to me, the lack of OIS and the lack of well, IP 68 and all the models like is, is a little bit dicey, but like, I don't know how many people care that much about OIS that the price difference is going to matter. Uh, so, so I think it's fine. It's 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 another OnePlus phone. I think it's uh, it's kind of not not that not that good, not that bad. It's just kind of average, and that's not enough to sell these phones. I feel like OnePlus is. I I don't know how many people remember when OnePlus first started coming onto the scene. Is that their whole thing was that they were trying to deliver flagship level uh, devices, flagship level performance at low, much lower than flagship prices but now we are here all these years later uh and oneplus is delivering flagship devices at flagship prices uh so i like the appeal of oneplus 
is slowly like I feel like slowly deteriorating. The, the, like sort of the the whole point of OnePlus is gone. I mean, I, we do we expect it, right? Once they got bought by uh, who is it, Oppo? Like uh, no, they've been no, 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 no. Okay, so OnePlus has always been an offshoot of Oppo. Uh, BB Corp, BB something is a the main co- conglomerate that owns like Oppo. Um, not Xiaomi, but um, a different brand and, and OnePlus. And basically, nowadays, all these phones are just rebranded Oppo phones that are sold only in mainland China, right? That's all they are. Um, this is the rebadge of an Oppo phone. Ditto for the software side. Like it's a, I think Oppo uses Color OS, and I think OnePlus is starting to like merge more into it with its Oxygen Joe OS. Like they're trying to unify there. So really, OnePlus is just the US facing or the Western facing version of, of Oppo. Sure. Sure. Um. Uh. Well, that's that's one plus. I I think the only two years of major updates, like Ron puts it as a as a down, like the an ugly in the in, in his review. Uh. And so I think that's comparing it to Samsung, right? Like Samsung. Samsung is three years now. Yep. Okay. So yeah, that is that actually. Like if you're thinking long term, right? Like people keep their phones for longer these days, right? Like phones can last longer these days like if people somebody's keeping their phone for three years or more um like two years of major updates is really really not like that impressive anymore like it's, it's really not like really not that good especially if you're selling a device at the level of the Samsung device that is equivalent and it's going to have three years of software updates right so it becomes even less of an like yeah uh uh, that's one plus. I don't know if you have, if you have anything else to say. We can. I think we can wrap up. Yeah, I think we can never settle with 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 this brand no, and, and wrap settle. it up. <laughs> Fucking I, I, I'm at least I'm glad this one plus is not doing the whole never settle nonsense that they used to do in the Google Plus days. Uh, those were uh, those were some interesting times for sure. Uh, so as always, show notes on two shades of brown dot com. Uh, you can uh, find uh, the contact address on the sidebar, uh, contact at twoshadesofbrown.com. You can find me on Mastodon at PacketCat at 10forward.social and on my website, sadiksafe.com. And where do people find you? Yeah, so um, USB-C audio and USB-IF, <laughs> I think it's, um, didn't really make, didn't really make sense to put it as a main topic. So we're putting it in, I should give this, I should give this little end bit a, a name. We should name the segment. Um, we'll th- at me with ideas, <laughs> but, um, but yeah, so the reason I bring this up is, um, so part of my job, daily job is doing calls like for you know a couple hours a day so um beforehand what i was doing because of course it's me i was doing a pair of ath m50s with um a mod mic magnetically mounted to the side of the headphone um both cables cable tied together and then done into a splitter that basically takes a mic input and usb regular and mounts them into one um combo jack port thing so you can plug them into just a combo microphone usb headset port on an imac and as you can imagine, that's a long cable. It's getting very annoying. I'm, I'm trying to move to a cableless setup. Like, I really only want like Ethernet running to my desk. I'm kind of getting sick of cables everywhere. So, I basically, I'm like looking into wireless audio. So, I see, you know, I've heard a lot of good things about the SteelSeries sets of headsets. I think they're a company out of Denmark, maybe. I think they're a European one. But um, I've heard a, I've heard a lot of good things about it. So, picked up the SteelSeries Arctic One, which is a hundred dollar headset, and 
Um, I'll probably, I am recording actually with the microphone here, so I'll probably actually swap this bit to use the backup mic recording, the one built into the headset so y'all can see how it sounds. But to me, it actually sounds pretty good for $100, and it uses a USB-C dongle. You know, it's not Bluetooth, just uses a USB-C dongle, which is perfectly fine, because it works on the Switch, right? Just plug it into the Switch, works out of the box, plug it into a Mac, USB audio device, plug it into the Stadia controller, you know, works there. Great. That that's it's a it's it's almost as if USB is universal. Mm. <laughs> so, I didn't get the version of this that came with the Xbox wireless protocol support because I was like, oh, it's fine. I could just plug this, you know, dongle into the top of the Xbox controller. That seems fine, you know. Mm. It's USB C, right? <laughs> you know, what? Uh, of course, it, it's just an audio device. You don't need 3.0 uh. speeds for it, right? You just need what 10, 100 megabits at most of bandwidth for USB audio. What is this? Turns out Microsoft does not allow you to USB audio devices on the Xbox. You have to use 3.5 millimeter or their proprietary bottom port for some headsets that are certified for it. You know how the Xbox right has that random like mini USB weird clippy thingy there? Some headsets will let you do it with that. And some headsets will also let you do USB-A plugged into the console for a receiver. This does not support any of it. I have to use this headset wired. And... Do you know why? I don't know why. My best guess is because Microsoft wants SteelSeries to sell a version that costs more, that has that is licensed to use the Xbox wireless protocol. Even though this USB adapter is a compliant device and works well for everything else. So I'm now having to go back to using wired headphones for the Xbox with these plugged in wires, which work fine. They work fine on it. It's just that it's, uh, thanks Microsoft. You could, you could easily turn on USB support for firmware update. There's nothing in that controller because if I have this plugged in wired, right, no batteries in, I can get audio out through the 3.5 head, headset jack. So that means via cable, it's capable of carrying data that supports audio. Mm. Mm -hmm. Love, love, love to have proprietary standards. So, so where, do people, where, where do people find it? <laughs> that was a lot. Yeah, uh, <laughs> I just find a chitter on XYZ. Um, please at me with your with your hot takes on the USB IF. And until next time, goodbye. Goodbye. <laughs>